several years ago, I remember hearing Brother Ed Wallen tell a story. Ed's pastor down in Hewittown, Alabama. Whether it's true or whether he was just making a point, I don't know, but he was telling a story and it made a point. He said he was mowing his grass one day, and one of the deacons from his church came by and stopped, just hollered out at him and said, that's it, preacher, cut it short. <laughs> and he got the message. So I've been trying to get the message. Didn't do any good. I preached two short messages Sunday, and nobody even noticed until we started to go to bed Sunday afternoon. And Shelby said, well, we got out early today. <laughs> now tonight I have a brief message, and it will be brief. But it's very, very important. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 13. My text is in the last part of the verse. His name is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Of God. Now, much to my astonishment, as I was preparing for the message tonight, I looked for what other men had to say on this text of Scripture and on this subject, and I found only one article in my entire library on Christ as the Word of God. Only one. And it was written by a liberal. <laughs> it was written by a fellow who said that this book really is not the Word of God, it just contains the Word. And you have to look for the Spirit of Christ in it. So that didn't help me much. The doctrine declared by this name is of immense importance. When the Scripture says that Christ is the Word of God, it is declaring to us that all our knowledge of God, all our hopes of life and grace, all our salvation depends upon Christ who is the Word of God. If Jesus Christ is not the very Word of God, then we have no Savior and we have no hope before Him. He is the Word of God. Now, realizing that, I want you to give me your careful attention, and let's look in the Scriptures at how our Savior is called the Word of God. This name is used frequently for our Savior throughout the New Testament. Turn with me. Back to John chapter 1, if you will. We'll look at four or five passages of Scripture. John chapter 1. These are passages that we are familiar with, but I think sometimes those things that, with which we are most familiar, we kind of gloss over and don't really investigate to see what the meaning of the text is. Here in John chapter 1, the Apostle John is declaring to us the deity and the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is affirming in this particular gospel narrative that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man, is indeed God the Son. Now, notice how he opens his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, that is, by him who is the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. I realize this particular passage, there's a good bit of controversy among good men about whether this is talking about the written Word or the, or the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And certainly it is applicable to the written word of God. The written word of God, blessed by the Spirit of God, is a living, powerful word to men. But in the context, the context is talking about a person. And notice what he says in Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is quick, that is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now continue reading in verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest, or that is not manifest in his sight. Do you see that? So verse 12 is talking about Christ, the person who is the word of God. And all creatures are manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Alright, look in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. The apostle is talking about skeptics. And he says in verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God. How do you know that's talking about Christ the living word? Because the word of God, the world was not created by this written word. And because John told us that the word of God is the one by whom all things were made. So Peter says, By the word of God the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Alright, look in 1st John chapter 1. 1st John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So when he talks about the word of life, he's talking about Christ. The word of life who was with the Father from the beginning and is now made manifest unto us by the gospel. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the plain declaration of the Scripture is that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the Word of God. Now some, seeking to undermine the Scriptures and the authority of them, have suggested that the apostles got their idea concerning the eternal logos, or the eternal Word, from the writings of Plato, the Greek philosopher. But that's not accurate at all. The fact is, Plato got his ideas concerning the eternal word from the Old Testament scriptures and from the comments of the ancient Jewish writers on the Old Testament scriptures. Turn back to one passage in the Old Testament and look at Psalm 138 and verse 2. Psalm 138 and verse 2. Well, let's begin in verse 1. The psalmist says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Now, whether he's talking about before judicial authorities and civil magistrates who are sometimes called gods, or whether he's talking about pagan gods of the Gentiles, it doesn't matter. He said, before all, I'm going to sing your praise. He says, I will worship toward thy holy temple 
and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, virtually all of the ancient commentaries refer to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, they refer to the Messiah who is spoken of in this passage, where the psalmist says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. One reason for using this name for the Lord Jesus Christ, that is one reason why the apostles did so, is the fact that the ancient Jewish writers frequently referred to the Messiah as the word of God. So when the apostles were writing the New Testament, especially when they were writing to Jewish believers, many women who had been converted out of Judaism, they referred to the Lord Jesus as the Word of God because that's the way the Jews were accustomed to hearing the Messiah referred to. But why does the Lord Jesus have this name given him? What's the significance of the name? Why is it that Christ is called the Word of God? Now, I want to answer that question from the Scriptures, and I will give you three answers. We will begin back in John chapter 1, John the first chapter. Let's look at this verse of Scripture just a little more closely, perhaps, than we have in the past. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Here Christ Jesus is called the Word of God because he is the only begotten Son of God. As the Word... Now, listen carefully. As the word, whether it is spoken or whether it is silent, whether it is expressed or whether it's not expressed, the word which a man has in his mind is the birth of his mind. Even so, the word Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father. As the word is the image of the mind and equal to the mind, so Christ is the image of the invisible God, and he is in all things equal to God the Father. This is John's doctrine here in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. Now, understand that when the Scripture uses that term, in the beginning, when he uses phrases like, from the foundation of the world, when he uses phrases like, like of old, even from everlasting, it's using words that accommodate our understanding of things. With God, all things are eternal. There is no such thing as beginning with God. There is no such thing as beginning with Christ. But to accommodate our understanding of things, because our thinking, we have to start somewhere. John says, in the beginning, that is, before anything was, was the Word. Alright, who is this Word? He is the one who was with God. That word with means he was equal to God. Not just equal to God, but face to face with God and one with God. He says, and the Word was God. Now, you'll perhaps someday have a Jehovah Witness, a Russellite, come to your door, and he will want to talk to you and have some Bible studies. And he'll turn to John chapter 1 and verse 1, and he'll say, Now, here this passage ought to read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. But when he does so, he's perverting the Scripture, not only the teaching of Scripture, but even this text of Scripture. For quite literally, the reading of this text should be, and God was the Word. So John is declaring plainly that Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father from everlasting. 
As there could never be a father without a son, there could never be a son without a father, the two persons in the Godhead, or the three persons in the Godhead, forever existed in their glorious being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. So the apostle is telling us that the Lord Jesus is himself the only begotten of the Father, the express image of the Father, and that he is in all things equal with the Father as with the Holy Spirit. And yet, as the Word and the mind are distinct from one another, so the Father and the Son are distinct persons within the triune Godhead. This is John's doctrine over in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. By now you should have it memorized, but let's look at it once more. John says there are three that bear record in the heaven, in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So he's telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is himself a distinct person from the Father, yet in all things equal with the Father, for he is himself God, even as the Father is God. When the scriptures declare that Christ is the Word of God, They're telling us these four things. First, he is God. Second, he's the only begotten of the Father. Third, he is distinct as a person from the Father. But fourth, he is one with the Father. So John, speaking in this manner, is telling us that Jesus Christ is God revealed. So much so that he says himself, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now, that's an astounding statement. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Men and women reading the scriptures, not being taught of the Spirit of God, are in great danger of running into two errors with regard to the person of Christ. There is one, on the one hand, those who read the scriptures and they read what the Bible says concerning the subordination of Christ to the Father for the fulfilling of the covenant of grace. And they say there, Jesus Christ must not be God, but only a representative of God or a creature of God or an emanation of God. But he can't be called God because he serves the Father. And they fail to understand the voluntary subordination within the persons of the Trinity for the accomplishment of redemption. The other error is with those who read the scriptures And they see our Savior speaking as he does here in John 14. He says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. They say there's no such thing as the Trinity. They're what we call Jesus-only people. I recall several years ago I was invited to preach for a Presbyterian church up in West Virginia. And much to my astonishment, especially being being a Presbyterian, the fellow got to argue with me a good bit about Jesus-only theology. He was trying to teach that, that there's no such thing as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but that these three are just... Just different names for Christ the Son. Now listen to what our Lord says in John 14. He's talking about going to the Father and bringing us to the Father. In verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now there's a very clear distinction made between the persons in there. Here is the one by whom we come, and the one to whom we are coming, God the Father, and God the Son. All right, he says in verse 7, If you had known me, 
you should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? What on earth is the Lord Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us he's the word of God. He's telling us he is the one, the only one, in whom, through whom, and by whom, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is revealed unto men. You see that? He says in verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. All right, now secondly, our Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word of God because he is the living Word of whom the written Word speaks. Let's look at another very familiar text in Luke 24. Luke 24. Our Lord Jesus was walking with the disciples. Unknown to them, he was in their company. They didn't know who the man was talking to them. And he opened to them the scriptures. Now look at what we read in Luke 24 and verse 27. And beginning at Moses, and in all the prophets, that is, going from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, through the book of Malachi, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In verse 44, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning thee. Now that's how the Jews, the Jewish writers divided up the Old Testament scriptures. They divided up into the five books of Moses and the prophets and then the books of poetry, which would include the Psalms, the book of Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. He says, beginning at Moses and in all the prophets and in the Psalms, he spoke concerning things concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Everything in this book, everything, speaks of Christ. Every word, every page, every line. Now, someone may turn to a particular passage of Scripture and point to it and say, Now, show me how that speaks of Christ. I may not be able to show you, but that nonetheless, nonetheless, the Lord's words in this text stand true. The Scriptures speak of Him. And if I do not see how the Scripture either speaks directly of Him or points to him, or shows my need of him, I do not yet understand the scriptures. When we speak of the scriptures, we're telling you that Jesus Christ, the word of God, is all the counsel of God. I was shocked, amazed, disappointed, disgusted. Several years ago, someone sent me a tape, a fellow had preached, attacking myself and Brother Mahan particularly, for our insistence on this very thing. And he was referring to Acts chapter 20, and in verse 27, 
where the Apostle Paul writes to, or speaks to the Ephesian elders, and he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, this particular preacher began to belittle and poke fun at folks preaching Christ and Jesus crucified in the gospel all the time. And he was saying, he made this statement, in fact, verbally, he said there's a whole lot more in the Bible than Jesus Christ. No, there's nothing more in the Bible than Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can you say that Christ is all the counsel of God? This is what Paul says. He says, well, compare this text right here. In verse 27, he says, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, do you suppose that Paul preached the same thing everywhere he went? Or do you reckon that he was like one of our modern preachers, who if he thought you was a sovereign gracer, he'd preach sovereign grace when you were around. If he thought you was a free willer, he'd preach free will when you were around. Paul preached exactly the same thing wherever he went. And listen to what he says in one Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 2. He writes to the Corinthians and describes his ministry there, which was almost as long as it was in Ephesus. And he says to the Corinthians, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. To preach Jesus Christ crucified. That is, to declare to men who Christ is, God and man in human flesh. To declare what he has done. He's redeemed his people and how he did it by satisfying justice through the sacrifice of himself and declare what the results are. All the ramifications of his redemptive work, that's to declare everything revealed in this book. All the Old Testament scriptures promise Christ to come. The book of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books present Jesus Christ as he has come. The book of Acts, all of the epistles, and the book of Revelation proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ explaining who he is, what he taught, and the fact that he is coming again. What I'm saying is that the written word of God, this book here, blessed, blessed book it is, the holy book, the holy Bible. This book is as a golden chest given by God from heaven, but it contains a precious jewel. You open it up and you find the jewel, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you take the jewel out, the chest is really meaningless. You understand what I'm saying? Christ is the Word. Everything in this book is about Him. Mr. Spurgeon said, if you take Christ out of the Bible, all you have left is processed wood in leather bindings with gold edges. And he's exactly right. This is not a book about morality. I I'm all in favor of folks promoting morality. But most of the people I know promoting morality have no use for Christ of whom the book speaks. This is not a book about conservative politics. And I'm all for conservative politics. But most of the folks I know dealing with those things have no interest in Christ of whom this book speaks. This is not a book about religious dogma. Though we will not back up at all concerning those things we hold to be precious and true, we hold them to be precious and true because they are either reflections of or they are remembrances of Jesus Christ of whom the book speaks. The Word of God is the Word about Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now cherish this book. Cherish it. Well, preacher, if it's not a book about morality, and it's not a book about science or politics or any of those things, why should we cherish it? Cherish it because of the one whom it presents. <laughs> cherish it because of him who is revealed in the book. Cherish it as you find he who is precious in this book. All right, thirdly, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word of God because of the wondrous works ascribed to him as the Word. Look at this text in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 12. As I said earlier, certainly this passage can be applied to the written word. It can certainly be applied to various things concerning the word of God as it's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. But directly, in its context, it's talking about a person. You know that plainly from verse 13, where it is referred to as a person being spoken of. All right, in verse 12, the apostle says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when we talk about Christ being the word of God, we speak of him as such, the apostles spoke of him as such, because of the works ascribed to him. First, he is the word of God, who spoke for God's elect in the council of peace and in the covenant of grace before the world began. You're familiar with Hebrews 10. Turn back to the passage to which Paul, from which Paul quotes in Psalm 40. In the 40th Psalm, the Lord Jesus is the one speaking. And he is speaking to God the Father. Now, these are the words that he spoke when he came into the world. Paul says so in Hebrews 10. But they were spoken long before he came into the world. They were spoken by him as our surety in the everlasting covenant. He says in verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, the book of God's eternal decrees. The book of the Old Testament had not yet been written. He says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. So the Lord Jesus is speaking here as our covenant surety, pledging himself to give himself in obedience to the Father for the accomplishment of our everlasting salvation, which is the will of God. So in the council chambers of the triune God, Christ spoke for us as our surety, agreeing to do all his Father's will for the accomplishment of our redemption. That's the reason his blood, in Hebrews 13, 20, is called the blood of the everlasting covenant. His blood is that by which the terms and conditions of the covenant of grace laid down by God himself in eternity were met. His blood is the blood by which all the blessings of that covenant flow down to us. All the blessings of Christ, all the blessings of God in Christ are covenant blessings given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's the very language of Scripture. That is, he received them upon his pledge of obedience unto the Father in our name and in our stead. We were therefore looked upon by God in Christ before the world was, and he said, blessed are these people in my Son. For my son's sake. Is that not what Ephesians 1, 3 teaches? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus before the world began. Those blessings are all covenant blessings. Let me see if I can remember an article that I put in the bulletin for next Sunday. To be sure you read it. You can correct me if I get it wrong. It was written by Christmas Evans. Mr. Evans said, if I could picture the human race and make a comparison of it and of God's grace toward us, is I picture a vast, vast graveyard with gaping graves open and dying men falling into it. And there there's a huge wall surrounding this vast graveyard and iron gates reaching up into heaven. And mercy stands at the gate looking at this vast, vast, vast graveyard, men perishing one after the other. And an angel appears to mercy and says, why don't you intervene for those who are perishing? And mercy says, I would, but justice will not allow it. And the angel turns to justice and says, what is it that justice demands? And he says, justice demands satisfaction. Justice demands obedience. Justice demands suffering. Justice demands death. And the Lord Jesus, standing at mercy's side, says, I'll give it. And that's the condition of the covenant. He came here and satisfied divine justice as the word of God that spoke for us in eternity and speaks to God for us now. He is the word by whom we have been reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is the word by whom all things were created and are upheld. He spoke all things into being out of nothing. When you read in the scriptures, when you read in the scriptures, that God made the worlds by his word. This is what it means. God made the worlds through Jesus Christ, our mediator. That's what it means. Without him was not anything made that was made. What I'm declaring to you is what I've said so many times, and I hope we can get a handle on. Everything that God in his holiness does, when I say God, I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Everything that God in His holiness does in time and eternity, He does through the mediation of Christ the Word and for Christ's sake. Everything. So that God spoke the world into existence by Christ the Word. And God now upholds the world by the Word of His power, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And the Lord God in the last day shall judge the world by that man whom he hath ordained, Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. The Lord Jesus, then, is that word by whom God operates in the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the word of God because he is the revelation of God's being and the interpreter of his will. Look at uh, John 1 again and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. Now underscore that. No man. What about Adam? No, not Adam. What about Abraham? No, not Abraham. 
What about Enoch? No, not Enoch. What about Manoah? No, not Manoah. What about Moses? No, not Moses. No man has seen God at any time. Well, preacher, the scriptures speak frequently of men speaking to God and hearing from God and seeing God in visions and revelations and speak of the angel of the Lord coming to them. The word. It's what the theologians used to call or still call a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. That is, that it was a manifestation of Christ, our substitute and our mediator before he assumed human flesh. In the beginning, then, was the Word. The Word who alone had seen God. And John says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus Christ, then, is the singular revelation of God. (laughs) He alone makes God known. I know God reveals himself in a sense in creation. There we see his eternal power in Godhead. God reveals himself in a sense in providence. In providence we see his hand of judgment. God reveals himself in a sense in the written word. You read this word and you can't help but learn something about God. But the revelation of God, known in a man's heart, it comes only when Jesus Christ is revealed in the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that you can read this book all your life. I read about one of the athletes the other day. I forgot who it was. Memorized the New Testament. And that's great. I hope he knows it. But you can memorize the New Testament and not know what's in it. That's right. One of the preachers when we went to school, Van uh, Empey, some of you have heard of him, Jack Van Empey, would come to chapel and he'd stand up and recite, 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 recite. And he could recite from Matthew 1 through Revelation 22 and never miss a word. Never miss a word. But he didn't have the slightest idea of whom the book was speaking. Not the slightest idea. Now I'm telling you that the only knowledge of God is in Jesus Christ as he's revealed in you through this word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the singular revelation of God. He is the only one by whom we know God and the only one in whom we are known of God. He reveals to us by his person and his work, especially his finished work of redemption, telling us that God Almighty is holy and will by no means clear the guilty, and yet telling us that God Almighty so delighteth in mercy that in order to forgive sinners, he has taken his own holy son and made him to be sin for us, satisfying justice in our stead. Moreover, as the word of God, The Lord Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father. The Apostle John writes to us in 1 John 2, and he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The Lord Jesus speaks to God on behalf of his people on this earth. Who is the one speaking? Jesus Christ the righteous. That is, he is Jesus the Savior. He is Christ the anointed one of God, the righteous. The only man in whom righteousness resides, in whom is the very righteousness of God. Well, what does he plead for? The non-imputation of sin. What's the basis of his plea? 
He is the propitiation for our sins. That is, He pleads with the Father not to impute sin to us because He has satisfied justice on our behalf by the sacrifice of Himself. For whom does He plead? For whom does He make intercession? For He says, I pray not for the world, not for everybody, but for them also which Thou hast given Me. He prays not only for these who now believe, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he makes intercession for his chosen people, his redeemed people, his called people, his believing people, his tempted and tried people. He makes intercession for his people according to the will of God. And Christ is called the word of God, by whom we are granted and preserved in eternal life. Now, let's look at this passage here in in Hebrews 4 for just a minute, and I'll wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 4. As in the old creation, so also in the new creation. All things have their being by Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Notice what Paul tells us concerning Christ, the Word, in Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. First, he tells us that he's a living word. He's quick, alive, alive, and powerful. This word from God is himself the omniscient God and the omnipotent God. He's powerful. He's dividing. He pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And he's discerning, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He looks on the heart. He looks on the heart. He divides flesh from spirit and he designs what we are. And he's encouraging in verse 14, or verse 13 rather, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then, we have such a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our profession. Since Christ is the Word, God's Word to us, and our Word before God, let's hold fast our profession. He's our great high priest, and he's sympathizing. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, let us, who? Anybody who needs his grace. Anybody who needs his help. Let us therefore come boldly. That is, come with open heart and open mouth to the throne of grace. Come before God the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Word of God, your great high priest. And come not hiding anything. Come boldly. Come speaking freely. The word does not mean to, to come like on a, like buddy, buddy turns with God. That's not what it means. It means to come with confidence as a child to his father. Come boldly. Come freely. And come speaking freely. Under the throne of grace. Under God seated upon his throne of sovereign dominion, knowing that his throne is a throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. What's your need? 
Or my need is mercy and grace. I always need it. Sometimes I feel it. Right now I need a double portion. He says come boldly to the throne of grace. In your time of need. And obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. Christ Jesus is God's exalted word. He has exalted his word above all his name. He is exalted in the word of God. This book gives him all preeminence, all glory, all magnificence. Let us then ever exalt Him. Seek Him as you seek to understand the Word. Look for Him. Look for Him. I I hope you've all been keeping up with your Scripture readings. But the last thing on this earth I want for you or for me is a mechanical reading of the Word. As you read the Scriptures, we've now come into the book of Mark. We'll be in a day, tomorrow I believe it is, or today. Today we'll be in the book of Mark. As you come and read the word, study and seek to know him of whom the word speaks. Ask God to show you his son in the word. And if you see him, you'll find something profitable for your soul in the word. Jesus Christ Our Savior, this is his name, the Word of God. Amen.